I mean, I, I'm still pursuing dreams. I'm 72 years old, brother. I'm pursuing dreams. The saying goes, everybody has a dream. But is our dream or passion enough to make life feel complete? Today on YouthCast, brother Pamphlo DiCenzo joins us to share about how he learned that God and only God can make life feel complete and that when we seek him first, he'll bless our dreams and passions and he'll give us joy and purpose beyond anything we could have imagined for ourselves. And just a quick warning, this episode does contain references to substance abuse and addiction and may not be appropriate for all audiences. So, Brother Pamphilo, thank you for joining us today on the YouthCast. Yeah, good to be here, that's for <laughs> sure. So, you grew up close to the church, you love the Lord, but when you were early on in your life, you had a struggle with making the commitment to serving Christ. Can you talk about where that kind of struggle came from? I was called when I was 13 and I passed it up. Uh, and I had all the reasons that everybody has. I, I could write the book of reasons why not to get <laughs> baptized. You know, I want to go to the prom. Uh, I want to do this. I want to do that. My dad is sick. This, I, You name it. None of them were valid now that you look back, but I didn't know it at the time. You know, the old timers had a bad habit, I think, you know, because they had a lot of traditions from other churches and stuff. And, and they would always teach you the don'ts, and they never told you what you could do. <laughs> you know, so it kind of sunk into me, all the don'ts. Well, here I am left with all the don'ts and none of the do's. And uh, so I kept passing up thinking I could do it on my own, and I paid the price for that. What were some of those interests or dreams that you personally wanted to pursue that you felt like you, you couldn't do that if you were, if you were serving God? I knew I had the bug already for the entertainment business. I started singing when I was 13 years old in nightclubs as a singing busboy. <laughs> Later on in life, I went up to Duquesne. As I was pursuing that opera career, one of the brothers told me, he said, look, just, you know, that's fine. As long as, you know, it doesn't take you away from church and you can make a lot of money and build us a new branch. I said, well, that'd be great. And I, and I, and I really believed that I could do that. And I wanted to do stuff like that, even at a young age, help other people. And it wasn't just about getting the money. God, you know, there's an old saying, God, uh, God, if you serve the Lord, he'll make your 10 cents look like a dollar. If you don't, you'll make your dollar look like 10 cents. And boy, <laughs> is that true. Because, you know, throughout my career, I made a lot of money and I had nothing to show for it. You know, and now I don't make any money. And a lot of people think I have money. <laughs> <laughs> so you say so you say you're into performing and 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 music and the arts and stuff. What did that look like early on in your life as you're pursuing that? I uh, I traveled Europe when I was 16 years old with the State Department entertaining. And we traveled 16 countries and, and I really behaved. I mean, I was I was a good kid. I knew scriptures real well. I, and, and and I knew what I the talents God gave me, I could use in church. And I, and I could also, if I made financial, I could even improve on it, you know. But I didn't make a commitment to Christ all the way. I didn't do anything wrong yet. <laughs> yet. Did you hear that? <laughs> young people, yet. <laughs> But if you're out there long enough, you know, they say if you sit in a barber shop, you're going to get a haircut eventually. (laughs) What happened was when I I pursued my career, but as I pursued my career, I I noticed always there was a scripture that came to my mind. It was uh, Matthew 6th chapter and it says, uh, seek ye first the kingdom of God 
in his righteousness. And, and that kept coming back to me. In fact, every time I would visit the church in my, in, when I was like in my 20s and early 30s, uh, they would always preach on that. It, was, it wasn't, you know, I thought like, oh, wow, man, what are they doing to me? <laughs> and I would cringe because every time I would go for an audition, I, I would always come in number two. You know, like some of the big films, commercials. I told you about the one commercial, the Ragu commercial. And uh, there were 60 some people and that was just me and the Jewish guy at, at the end. Well, the Jewish guy got the part. I'm saying like, I can't, I don't understand this. So I asked my agent and he said, well, they said you look more Lebanese or, or Arabic than you do look Italian. I said, really? He said, yeah. So a couple of weeks go by, then they call me and paid me just to do the word prego because he couldn't twirl his R's. <laughs> so they paid me just for that. But I mean, stuff like that. It was, and it kept reminding me like, okay, God, I hear you. You know, I hear you. And you, you also put out a, a, a record or a couple of songs? Oh, yeah, 1974, my first single came out. And that was another thing. You start climbing the charts back then. That was one of the disco days and it was just dying out. And, and I had the first hustle song that came out. It was called uh, I Love You So. And it started climbing the charts. I'm going, wow, this is great. Then all of a sudden, my friend Barry Manlow comes out with Mandy. That was the first ballad in four years. And it killed me. It, it crushed everybody. It, it stayed on the market forever. Uh, you know, there, there's another example. You know, I, I was just about ready. And boom, I got banged. I mean, there were so many stories I could tell you about that. And, and it kept banging at me and banging. And the more it did, the, it, it actually got me even my heart, heart harder instead of softer because of my, my pride now at that point. And if I'm not mistaken, you ended up getting some counseling experience as well during this time? Yeah, this show you God knows what he's doing. You know, uh, I went to Duquesne University and while I was in my senior year, there was a priest and he said, he said, uh, Deech, that's what they used to call me in college <laughs> when I was playing football. He said, uh, Deech, what you got to do is, uh, you got to help me and get involved in this new thing called uh, group therapy and stuff. I said, yeah, sure. No problem. Well, anyway, I helped him out. And before you know it, he gave me a fellowship or even before I, uh, I was out of school, I started my master's degree there in counseling, which I had no intention of ever using. But here we am 30 years later, after I got clean and sober, I went up using that education that God prepared me for 30 years prior. I mean, who would ever know that? And we're going to talk more about how, even at this time when you weren't completely seeking God first, he was still preparing you for a great purpose. But at this point in your life, as you're still pursuing these dreams, you love God, but you're not really seeking him first or including him in, in your big decisions. How does this affect your relationship with God over time? There's a void there. And you try to fill it with everything else. But I'm going to tell you something. You talk about that void. You see, when I was 13, uh, my dad was uh, just about ready to pass away from cancer and Parkinson's disease. And, and the, our doctor saw that I was, had some anxiety. And back then he gave me Libriums. So I started taking Libriums. And then when I started working in nightclubs at 13, 14 years old, by the time I was 14, I'm drinking at night before I came home and I already took pills. So my body got used to it. You know, if, if you study substance abuse, you, your, your brain function has chemicals in it. And when you start taking chemicals in it, it stops making the, the chemicals because it's depending on you to take them. And that's what alcoholism is. There's that certain line. Once you cross it and your body needs it, 
Now you're an alcoholic or an addict. So I got stuck on medicated pills for the longest time. How did that affect me? Of course, I made all the wrong decisions. You know, here I am trying to fill the void with alcohol and pills and entertainment business and other businesses and trying to be successful. And, uh, and it wasn't working. I mean, you know, that, that void was there. You know, and then along with all that comes depression, too. In fact, I remember my sister telling me my oldest son would go to camp outs with, that, with my sister and my, my mom. And one of the ministers said, if anybody needs prayer, let us know after the meeting. And my son, my oldest son was only about nine years old. And he went up to the minister and said, pray for my dad. He's very depressed. And I never knew that until mm-hmm. maybe after I got baptized, my sister told me, you know. And uh, so you affect everyone along the way. And that's the saddest part. Meanwhile, financially, I was pretty successful. Even after I got done singing, you know, I, I was making good money, taking care of taking care of business. So in a way, you did achieve that dream you had of making a good living in the entertainment business, but it didn't fill the void like you had hoped it would. So how did you finally end up opening up and letting God in to fill that void? I remember that one day I was sitting on this stone wall in front of a beautiful house that was paid for in Mount Lebanon, a great area of Pittsburgh. And, uh, in the driveway, there's two cars paid for, a Jaguar, the Lincoln. And here I am sitting on that wall with my son, Pamphlo, my first son, on my lap. You know, every Italian man wants his son there, and there he has my name. I was so proud of him. You know. <laughs> and I looked up to God, and I said, you know, God, you've been really good to me. What's next? Oh. And when I said that, Brother Jared, something came over me, and I looked at my watch that I had on. And it was 11 o'clock a.m. And I knew it was 11 o'clock a.m. on a Sunday morning. I knew where I should have been, but I wasn't there. And once again, I knew I was in trouble. Well, three years to that date is when I walked into the emergency room. And the last thing I heard was, we're losing them. And I was brought back to life. I was in a coma for 36 hours. So in three years, you went from feeling like you're pretty successful and you kind of made it to being in the emergency room and almost dying. How did you end up there? I I lost everything in those three years because of bad decisions. Not that I was selling drugs or doing this. I made every possible bad decision because I was in no way to go to the Lord for advice. You know, know, he doesn't know about this. He doesn't know about that. Hmm. And, and, and the insanity is what really got me into the recovery program, which led me back to church. And, and I just screamed out to God. And I said, Lord, you've got to take us away. I said, I don't care where you put me, what you want me to do. I said, I forget about money, fame, women, anything that will get in my way of serving you. Just take this away. And I went to visit my mother. And who was there was Sister Martha Laird. And uh, Nina said to me, do you want to drive her home? I said, yeah, sure. So I drove her home to Corey office. And, of course, I'm complaining all the way, Jared. You know, you know, my life's this, this bad, it's this. So I don't know what I'm going to do. But she didn't say a word at all, not one word. And I opened the door to let her out, opened the door to her house to let her in. And she turned to me, Jared, and said, get in the building. That's all she said. And she closed the door in my face. Hmm. I got in the car. It was Wednesday night. It was quarter to seven. I said, oh, wow. And I went to church. 
And that was the first time I went to church. Now, I wanted to get baptized, but I was facing two federal trials. So it took 10 months for me to get baptized. It's a long time. So you're finally, you're finally clean now. You finally took that first step of baptism, making that commitment to make God number one in your life. How does God start to put the pieces of your life back together at this point? When I finally got clean, uh, I was still homeless after I got clean. My ex-wife wouldn't take me back. And so I was walking the streets as a high-end homeless person. I had a sport coat, a briefcase with toothbrush and underwear in it. You know, I didn't want that, that pride was still there, Jared. You know, I didn't want anybody to know I was homeless. And I was living on $15 a week, Jared, 15 bucks a week. And God provided. And then I started selling pagers and stuff, you know, to uh, try to make some money. This cousin of Brother Paul Palmieri's, who was very close to me, uh, he helped me out and got the storefront made up. And I asked him, I says, uh, can I have that back room? I want to use it as an apartment. He came in about seven, he'd come in at 7.30 in the morning. I'm sleeping on the floor in the back room. And he came in, he kicks me, he says, come on, let's get coffee. I says, all right. So I'll go in the back, make coffee. I said, do me a favor. Can you drive me downtown to this recovery club? Uh, I want to go to a meeting. He said, yeah, he's still come. So he came and he had coffee while I was in a meeting. I came out and he said, why don't you do one of these in our building? I said, they don't make money. I said, all they do is help stuff. He goes, well, think about it. So I figured it out. I needed $5,000 and I needed a good attorney just to get it started. I prayed about it and I prayed about it. Didn't tell anybody, Jared. Well, about a month later, he walks in again, which he did periodically. He came in and he threw an envelope at me. He said, here, there's $5,000. Get this place started. I couldn't believe it. He says, uh, you said you need an attorney. Call so-and-so. He's going to take care of you. You can pay him later. And that's how we started the cash club. But at, at first, it was more of a social club for people with addictions, you know, with meetings. Okay, so that's how the cash club started, which is the, the recovery center you established and you run down there in the Pittsburgh area. So how does that go from just being a social club, like you said, then to actually having the Bible classes and the spiritual component to it? Well, at that time, like I said, there was no shower in that, in that room I was uh, sleeping in. I'd, I'd walk up the hill to my sister and my mother's, and then I'd pray after I took a shower in my old bedroom. Well, I was on my knees praying, and my mother was still living, and she was a prayer warrior. you know. And in Italian, she told me, she said, did I tell you about a dream I had last night? I said, no, Ma. She told me, she said, I was arguing with God, which she did a lot. <laughs> and she said, uh, God, I don't understand what you're doing with my son. He got baptized. He's helping people. Why can't he find a job? Because I had over 200 resumes. Up. She said, I was arguing with him. And he said, Sister Valia, he has a job. He works for me. And what came over me, I was on my knees. And I was praying for a job when, when, when she said this, is the promise I made to him three years prior that no matter what he wanted me to do or where he wanted me, I'd be there. I said, we got to get serious here. And that's when I started putting in all the spiritual programs at the cash club. And that's when it started taking off. And it's really remarkable because all those years earlier you talked about, you got the degrees and counseling and took all these group therapy classes with no idea that you'd ever use them. And then now we see years later, actually, even back then, God was preparing you for this beautiful purpose and calling he had for your life. God knows what he's doing. That's what we got to tell our people that, that, that have an experience to his goodness. He knows what's ahead for us, good and bad. And he prepares us if we allow him. 
You know, uh, one of the things about that scripture that I preach a lot, I do, and I repeat it a lot, uh, that scripture about seek ye first the kingdom of God. A lot of people think that's just to get baptized. You know what I mean, Jared? Okay, you found Christ, you got baptized, that's it. No, that is an ongoing verse in our lives. We go to an architect to build a house, right? And then 10 years later, we know what we're doing. We're going to put an addition on. So we put the addition on ourselves and we fail. We don't go back to the architect. Hmm. He built the, the house. Go back to the architect and ask him, look, how can I do this addition? What should I do? And that's what we got to do with Christ. When you seek him first, don't stop. Keep seeking him first in everything you do. What What is the place for someone who has a unique dream or passion and they're not sure how that fits with serving God? If we go to the Lord with it instead of doing it on our own, I mean, as long as you're not pursuing something that's evil, you're not going to have a problem. We have to understand this. We can't, we got to quit zooming in on one type of personality in, in, that serves God. I mean, I am way different than a lot of ministers in the church. There's no doubt about it. But you know what? That's how God called me. He called me for a purpose. He called me the way I was. And he'll make me for what, what he wants me to be. So it sounds like you're saying it's okay to pursue your dreams and to pursue your passions as long as you're seeking God first in them and in, and in your life in general. How is that different than just when I'm out and in popular culture, I feel like it's a, a popular phrase to just say, pursue your dreams, follow your passions. How is that different than what you're saying? They also say, do, what, do whatever it takes to get your dreams to go through, right? Well, we can't do that. Whatever it takes is where we go wrong. Because now you're going to wind up doing things you shouldn't do to get where you want to go. Uh, I always say this, you know, I pray that the Lord comes through the front door. And I'm staring at that front door. Meanwhile, he already came through the back door and he's tapping me on the shoulder. Hello, I'm here. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? We're waiting for this passion or whatever dream we want to come through that front door. Meanwhile, he's sitting behind us with this beautiful package for us that has nothing to do with what we were looking for in the front door. You see, because it couldn't fit in the front door because his <laughs> are a lot bigger. It had to go through the back door. Amen. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I found in my life when I, when I seek the Lord first, even if sometimes I have to give up something I wanted, I never feel like I missed out or I got the, no. the short end of the stick. I mean, God. It's a plus plus. Absolutely. And, and you know, it's a win win. No matter which way you look at it, it's a win win. And, and God gives each one of us passions and strengths and interests for a reason. And when we take those gifts and we present them to the Lord and say, you know, God, would you be my partner and my guide in pursuing these, these things that I love? And how can you use them? He blesses us in ways we can't imagine. And, and it leads to a fulfilling life. I mean, I, I'm still pursuing dreams. I'm 72 years old, brother. I'm pursuing dreams. My dream is that I could reach more and more people in the addiction field to get them straight and get them healthy and to introduce them to Jesus Christ. Through those years, we've had over 50-some people baptized. Uh, we have brothers and sisters all over the country that, that came through the Cavs Club, which is great. Some are teachers, some are deacons. You know, it, that's the, you know my biggest blessing, Jerry, is when I get a letter or a phone call from someone that was there eight years ago and thanked me for having the Bible class, that it changed their life. Uh, I have guys that were in prison that messed up after they left us 
and write and say, Pamplo, if it wasn't for what you taught us, I wouldn't be staying alive here in prison. That it's, it's beautiful what God has done with your life. And it just shows once again, when we seek God first and allow him to fill that void within us first and foremost, then he can bless us as we pursue our dreams and passions. But even more than that, he can bless us with a calling and a purpose that's greater than anything we had imagined for ourselves. So thank you, Brother Panflo, for joining us today. No, thank you. Thank you for the time. And to our audience, we'll catch you next time. From this day and all of my life, all my love just belongs to you. From now till then, you'll hear me say, Tivoli Ophelia.